Hello, welcome to Theologizing Life with Anthony Cottrell and Matt Tracy, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live, or if you tuned in last time, Theologizing Life, we're adequate. Yes, perfect. I actually thought of a couple other ones that I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, <laughs> if I could share those real quick. Yeah, I want to hear it. All right, let's go. Uh, theologizing Life. Not your grandma's theology podcast, <laughs> parentheses, because your grandma probably doesn't listen to theology podcasts. That was the first one. Theologizing life. If the apostle Paul listened to it, he'd probably say, cute podcast, guys. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Uh, and, the, and then the last one. Theologizing life. We almost guarantee that you won't hate it. <laughs> we almost guarantee so <laughs> i have a question yeah like when did the what was the inspiration for these did they come uh did they come to you i mean some of my greatest thoughts come while i'm in the bathroom so were, were you just like sitting around one day and like theologizing life not your grandma's podcast yeah that's pretty good you know <laughs> <laughs> you know i we have a month between these episodes so like i have a lot of time to think about stuff you know <laughs> so i so what, usually when I post the episode, I listen to it just to make sure everything sounds okay. And then, you know, that that little banter joke at the end kind of made me laugh. I'm like, oh, we could keep that going. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make that a bit. So, yeah, here we go. Which one of those was your favorite? Hmm. We almost guarantee. How did it go? We almost guarantee. <laughs> we that you we almost it. guarantee that you won't hate it. Yeah, we always guarantee that you won't hate it. I think that's my favorite. I don't know. The worst thing that you've ever listened to. (laughs) It's not half bad. It's not not half good either, but it's not half bad. It just is. (laughs) Like God, the great I am. Oh, okay. Well, okay. That's a little far. (laughs) Is. Just is. He is. Oh, Yahweh. As, <laughs> as you were talking about, uh, as you're talking about listening to the podcast, I make sure like, you know, the recording was okay and all that stuff. I was thinking, yeah, I listened to it too, but for totally different reasons, you know, just to boost our, <laughs> our listens. Yeah. And give us a little bit of a, <laughs> there'll be, there'll at least be one person listening to this exactly. not half bad podcast. Exactly. Oh man. Well, uh, as we are just sort of bantering here, uh, we don't have uh, a guest that we're going to interview. So we're going to talk to one another. I'm going to quasi interview Matt, but uh, in a dialogue sort of way, because I'm also going to dialogue about it. And one of the things we talked about talking about was why theologizing life or sort of where, uh, where did our love for theology come from and why why do we think it's important? Like, why do we think theology is important? Uh, And especially, particularly for like, Matt, you and I both, you know, we went to seminary and uh, we've, we've both probably read some academic works that don't feel sometimes, at least, I don't know, maybe you feel differently, but there are some things I've read that feel very, like this is aimed at an academic audience. Like this author is writing for his peers or for other professors and scholars and all that stuff. And so what uh, actual value does this have for, um, you know, everyday Jesus followers? And so uh, I, I think today what we want to talk about is is kind of twofold thing. Talk a little bit about Matthew and I's story and why we love theology, how that came to be, and uh, what inspired that. But then also why is theologizing life important for everyday Jesus followers, not just academic seminarians? So that's kind of where we're going to go today. We'll see how it goes and we'll banter and it won't be half bad. Yeah. We're going to talk about talking about theology, basically. (laughs) Which, you know, is how philosophy and theology tend to work, right? You talk about talking about. Talking about talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I guess we'll just begin. Uh, Matt, when, sort of when and how, did you become interested in the study of theology? And with that, when were you aware that you were interested in the study of theology? 
if that makes sense. <clears throat> so yeah, when and how did you become interested? And then how did you know, like, oh, what I'm interested in, like, this is the, like, yeah. yeah, what was that story? It wasn't really until probably like my freshman year of college. Like, I, so I, I mean, I grew up going to church. Um, and it wasn't like a super, like, theologically dense church. It was a great community. Uh, but we did, I didn't really get a whole lot of like in-depth, like theological training, which, you know, in some ways, like that's not necessarily what going to church on Sunday is all about. So, uh, and I didn't really seek after it myself. And then I kind of, when I got my calling to ministry, my freshman year of college, that's kind of when I really decided to like look into you know, scripture and and exactly what it was telling me and not just what my pastors and my friends were telling me. It said I'd hardly ever read the Bible for myself. And then I started to realize like, oh, this, this actually matters. You know, it's not just something that a pastor reads to tell his congregation what to do. It's something that, you know, I'm responsible for reading and understanding because it shapes the way that I view God. It shapes the way that I view other people. It shapes the way that I view my purpose in life. Um, I mean, it's like our our main tagline for our podcast. You know, the way that we think about God shapes the way that we view everything. You know, yeah. So uh, that's kind of when I became interested in it, and I actually I didn't start uh, my ministry degree until my like third year of college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and so like my sophomore, junior year of college, I was a transfer student, so I didn't do the traditional four years. I was in college for like five years. It was like my sophomore slash junior year of college. That's when I started taking Bible classes. And I, and I really started to like sit, to think to myself, like, man, this is something I really want to, uh, get seriously involved in because it was just fascinating to me the way that like, learning about the way the Bible's put together, learning about the history and also the the way that the Bible is interconnected and tells a cohesive story. Uh, it's all just, it feels like it's a never ending well of knowledge and not a lot of like fields of study have that, you know, if you study math, <clears throat> math just kind of works the way you expect it to work. If you study the Bible, like you can learn something new basically until you die, <laughs> you know? And then yeah. when you die, you get to meet God in person and then you realize, Oh, I have an infinite more infinitely greater level of knowledge that I can even attain. Yeah. In his, so, you know, and then so, you meet God and you're like, Oh, I got that totally wrong, but yeah, you know, right. we'll worry about, we'll worry about that when we get there. You know? Yeah. So, so some of it like came alive as you went to school and was in your undergrad and mm-hmm. uh, you, you started taking classes that study scripture and um, which is kind of tied. Tell us a little bit about like, so that's also almost directly tied to your calling to ministry because part of your, um, I I think I have the details, right? Like part of your fifth year senior Mm -hmm. was you, you didn't declare a major until your third year, you said. Yeah. Um, And part of that major was ministry, which then, put you in some Bible classes. So like, Mm -hmm. uh, was there, was that desire like reading scripture for yourself? Was that starting to bubble up before your, uh, sense of calling or was it all very like integrated, I guess, like you sense this calling to ministry and then you start taking Bible classes and then you start reading the Bible for yourself and all these things just sort of work together to, um, inspire this hunger for knowing God more. Yeah, I think it all, I think it all really began when I started taking classes and learning about the Bible academically. Yeah. Cause that's really how I, you know, some people connect with God through music. Some people connect with God through like, you know, solitude and, and prayer. And I connect with the Bible through study Mm-hmm. Uh, and learning or I connect with God through study and, and learning academically 
in school through research and reading and studying the language and stuff like that. That's, that's how I really, it's, it's sounds cheesy, but it's, it's, that's the way I kind of worship. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I just want to speak to that real quick. There's a book that I read that sort of legitimized this reality for me too. Um, it's called sacred pathways by Gary Thomas. And it sort of talks about different ways that people connect to God and same way that you're sort of different personality types, there's sort of these different, or like we have different love languages we say in relationships. Um, sometimes the way people connect with God is different. And there's like a little assessment you can take and Um, I scored really high on the intellectual scale and that's not to say, and the book even clarifies this, this is not to say like, oh, I scored really high in being really smart. It's saying that, uh, it means that I connect or feel closest to God when I learn something new about God, when I Mm -hmm. sort of, when my mind is engaged, um, but for other people could be nature. It could be, um, there, there's, there's some people who through their senses, like they connect with God, uh, more through things they touch, feel, or smell, smell, um, or through nature, things like that. Um, so, uh, I don't know if that piques your interest. Like, it sort of legitimized that, like, it's okay to connect with God. Um, like, I've talked to some people who they don't connect with God as much through music, and so worship in church, like that part of a service where it's worship through song is is maybe a little odd for them and i think sometimes people can feel like something's wrong with them i just want to i guess sort of validate and say like there's probably nothing wrong with you uh you just maybe connect with god in a different way but yeah that's kind of how i felt like because i don't really in church i don't i i love connecting with god through music like i play guitar in the worship band and um i definitely connect with god through doing that but like standing and singing like that sounds that's not something that like i I really get into that much yeah for a while I'm just like man something must be wrong with me because I don't want to sing this song (laughs) you know and yeah that was a legitimizing book for me I didn't read the book but I did take that there's like a um the assessment or whatever the assessment like an inventory that you take and Mm -hmm. I took that and like I definitely was affirming that like you know there's there's not something wrong with me I just there's just ways that I connect with God that are different than how someone else might, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I have a similar, well, it's similar, but it's different. So I grew up going to a Christian school and at a pretty young age, I sensed some sort of call to ministry. And so, um, and at a pretty young age, like I'm talking elementary school, like I liked Bible class. Um, and so kind of going into high school, uh, I, I, liked learning about the Bible. Uh, I liked my subject, you know, in school, the Bible class subject. And, um, but what I think I, what I think I developed a love for, thought I had a love for was actually for apologetics. Like, cause in Bible class, we were sort of learning these ways to defend our faith, um, answers, uh, and, and so I thought, man, I, I really love apologetics. Then I went to school and I wanted to I, I studied youth ministry. That was my declared major. And I went to school quite arrogantly thinking like, I pretty much knew the answers. I've just had Bible class for the last 12 years of my life. I studied apologetics, like I'm able to defend my faith. This is what I, why I believe what I believe, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> and then I went to um, my uh, theology class. Uh, it was sort of a combination of, I think my theology class and then later a church history class. But basically I learned how much I didn't know. And Mm -hmm. uh, I realized too, that all those answers I learned, um, some of them were accepted and affirmed across the board within Mm -hmm. the spectrum of what we would say is Orthodox Christianity. And Orthodox is just sort of a shorthand way of saying right belief um, or uh, something central to Christian faith. Like, uh, so beliefs that are outside of orthodoxy are therefore something other than Christianity. Like it, for it to be Christianity, there's a few sort of core or what we'd say dogmatic beliefs uh, that have to be held. And that's within orthodoxy. But then within orthodoxy, there is a spectrum uh, of things on some doctrinal things and what we'd say interpretation. And basically my point in sharing that is 
in my theology class, I realized like how much larger the spectrum was than I had realized in, in church history. I learned how uh, much what I was a part of, what my story was a part of, how it was part of a much bigger story. And I guess I just sort of got absorbed into um, the bigness. Like that's not very, I don't know, a very uh, academic way of saying it, but I just, I got sort of absorbed in how big the whole thing was. Um, and kind of like you said, there's this, you can continue to learn and grow. And so I sort of wanted to start swimming in this uh, ocean of knowing and learning more about God. So there was that. And then my theology professor, I've referenced him before, and I, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention him by name uh, for, for sake of giving credit where credit is due. But Dr. Chris Bounds was really passionate about theology and he presented lectures in a way that were really captivating and really interesting. And he fostered discussion and conversation. And, and he sort of um, also is kind of responsible for inspiring that desire in me to, to learn more and to expand my theological uh, knowledge and awareness he used to say this thing, he'd like reference some early church father or something and, and reference it as if we should know, like it was just a, a current, you know, pop culture reference almost that just mm-hmm. everyone knows. And when we would look back kind of, uh, you know, blank eyed, he would say, oh, you guys, you never read. <laughs> and uh, you, you don't read enough. And uh, uh, it, that's also when I think um, my arrogance of like, I know enough got confronted with the humility of, I don't know hardly anything. And then got challenged with, well, what do you, when you, when you're confronted with that humility, what you do is that, that idea of leaders are readers, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, being a lifelong learner. And part of how you do that is yeah. through reading. And so, um, that's sort of also inspired in me a desire to read and learn from other voices. So, right. I had a professor who, during my undergrad, his name was Ken Eilers and, uh, at Huntington University, and he he always referred to those like early church <clears throat> theologians, like you know Anselm and all those all those guys, uh, as you know brothers and sisters. Like these aren't people that like lived and died a thousand years ago that only smart people read. Like these are. Mm-hmm brothers and sisters in Christ who have contributed to the field of knowledge that like we can actually interact with and converse with today. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was super eye opening for me. Cause like, I always read those guys and, you know, it's very dated and archaic language mm-hmm. and it's not that easy to understand sometimes, but it's like, no, this is someone who I have a bond with. Like, these are my, you know, the, the Christians who have gone before me that have really paved the way for a lot of what we understand about scripture today and theology yeah. today, you know, it's not just for, you know, your professor to understand. This is something that you can like, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, you can uh, work to understand as well. So that was, that was eye opening for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was eye opening for me in that is like, the the early church fathers and the apostles uh like the the other thing i wanted to ask you is kind of the difference between apologetics and theology and i want to i want to get there in, in a second but like i think you know i had come from an environment where in bible class i learned the answers like this is right belief and there was sort of this assumption that this was right belief since the beginning and i took for granted that like uh, this is, this is just what all Christians believe. But when you actually like study and are aware of the timeline and, and there were these different church councils where they hammered out the doctrine of the Trinity, or they hammered out what it meant that Jesus was both human and divine. And these happened centuries after Jesus mm-hmm. death and resurrection. And you read the gospels and you realize Paul and some of the apostles, they're working out like their Jewishness. And now this new thing God is doing through Messiah, Jesus, you realize that like, there is a part of this theological process that for a long time, like centuries was sort of in the works. Like, uh, I think we take for granted that this is just right doctrine, or this is just right theology, but like the disciples, when Jesus raised from the dead, this was sort of like 
oh, this is new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they were working that out. Like, what does this mean? What, what is, yeah. um, and that's a significant part of, I think some of Paul's writings when he writes about the resurrection is like, mm-hmm. what are the implications that God raised this Jesus yeah. from the dead? Um, yeah. so anyways, and it's interesting because, because that means that we, that people got it wrong a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And like, we yeah. had to kind of just like, we had to, uh, refine it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for example, like there's like a big, one of the biggest, you know, heresies. I, I don't want to use that. I use that word very sparingly, but it was you know one of the biggest uh, heresies in like the early, early, early Christianity was Arianism, meaning like what that where there's this guy who, who said that, you know, Jesus wasn't actually human. He was only divine. And that's his, uh, you know, teaching on that. And um, the, the church's response to it that's how we landed on um the the doctrine that like you know jesus was human and divine uh, at the same time and that's how that's how it got really cemented in to christian theology was some guy got it wrong and then the church responded saying okay there's a lot of implications to that 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 are really serious that would really seriously undermine our faith if we go that direction and so they um was it the uh, was it the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed? I think it was the Nicene Creed. That was the response to uh, Arius that that teaching that Jesus wasn't actually human. So uh, yeah, it was the Nicene Creed, the Council of Nicaea. Uh, they had this big meeting and they and they talked about okay, if we really go down that road, uh, what are the implications and how would they undermine our faith? And so that's how that doctrine really got cemented. It wasn't until like the fourth century that that doctrine was really, you know, the church established like, okay, this, this is something that is essentially Christian that we cannot sway left or right on, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. so we got it wrong a lot. <laughs> and, and the other thing when you understand history too, and, and then I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll shift gears in a moment, but I think the other thing that's important to realize too, and this relates to our conversation earlier about ways to connect with God. So they got it wrong a lot. Um, and especially like there was times in history where people were illiterate, where the, before the printing press was invented, uh, access to scrolls and paper and the writings, what we would call the Bible was extremely limited. And so there were quite a few Jesus followers uh, in the early church, the early days of the church and for centuries after who, uh, n- who could not read their Bible every day. Like they could not do devotions every day as we know it. Mm-hmm. Like it just wasn't, it wasn't possible yet. They were able to connect with God. So that raises questions like just, yeah. Do, do we, um, well, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it at that. You can, you can work out those questions. You know, how, how is it that they were able to connect with God and have a, a vital relationship with him, be every bit as a follower of Jesus as you or I, uh, mm-hmm. and not be able to read their Bible every day and do their daily quiet time as we know it today. And w- what are the implications of that? So they couldn't read the Bible every day. And then for, for years, they had incorrect doctrinal views. Like we would mm-hmm. say their theological views, we would look back and say, well, that's not exactly, uh, that's not exactly where we're at today anymore. And, and yet I think every bit is saved by grace through Jesus as you or I. And so yeah. when we emphasize correct doctrine as the, the litmus test for whether you're in or out, whether you're really, truly a bonafide Christian or not, I think we need to be careful there too. Because sometimes mm-hmm. with our, our sort of ways of narrowing these things, I think we would actually unintentionally exclude some of the earliest Jesus followers in our, yeah. in our past. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's dangerous when we, when we just assume that, okay, we our 21st century knowledge of theology is superior in every way. Mm-hmm. And like, we, okay, now we've got it right. Yeah. We've arrived. Like, I, I feel like we we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to be like, okay, nice try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, and not uh, only, not only do I think he's going to be like, nice try, but I think he's going to be like, nice try. And for those of us who made it the point, like correct doctrine, I think he's going to say it was a nice try, but that, that wasn't even the point. I think he'll yeah. ask, 
So did you love your neighbor yeah. who disagreed with you theologically? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's actually more the point than whether they were, you know, dotting their I's and crossing their theological T's. Like, mm-hmm. did you love them well? But anyways. Yeah. We're, we're digressing here. Big we are. So <laughs> real, real quick, could you explain, uh, I talked a little bit about like, how it started out having sort of a love for apologetics in high school. And I thought I loved apologetics. And now I'd say, actually, I think I love theology and I'm not as interested in apologetics. How would you, I, I there's a way I would distinguish the difference. How, how would you distinguish the difference between um, theology, the study of theology and the study of apologetics? I mean, apologetics is these, it's kind of the study of the, scientific or philosophical defenses of the Christian faith. So responses to those who believe that Christianity is not viable, either scientifically or philosophically or morally or ethically. Uh, Apologetics is this kind of study of how we as Jesus followers, as Christians can, I don't want to say defend our faith. It doesn't need to be defended, but, but, essentially respond to those criticisms mm-hmm. so for example there's uh lee strobel he was he was a journalist he, he used to be an atheist uh he kind of did this investigation of the christian faith and interviewed a bunch of people and he actually became a christian through that process that the sort of questioning his atheism and he became like a main you know voice in apologetics <clears throat> and so he has a bunch of books called you know the case for christ the case for faith where he kind of lays out arguments for, you know, Christians, uh, you know, responses to these common criticisms, like Jesus wasn't a real person or Jesus didn't actually raise from the dead, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, so apologetics, I think is, is the study of that, not necessarily the study of theology, but it kind of pulls together, you know, science and philosophy uh, ethics, uh, all of those things to kind of give a, give the Christians arm us with a response to common criticisms of the faith. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And then the th- theology is the study of God, you know, theos, Greek for God, ology, mm-hmm. study of the, the study of God, uh, essentially. And so that's where we study who God has revealed himself to be primarily through scripture. Uh, And there are, there are some, you know, practices of theology where we take something that's in scripture and and we kind of extrapolate it and and talk about the implications of it. Like, you know, the, the study of the Holy spirit. um, What is it? pneumatology or pneumatology yeah pneumatology or you know the the scripture doesn't really give us a a whole lot about like the mechanisms of how the holy spirit works and so pneumatology is kind of how we uh, it's it's rooted in scripture but it's also uh you know it's talked about philosophically and in just kind of in academic circles uh implications of, of all that so yeah theology is is the study of who God is, how God works and how God, who God has revealed himself to be. And yeah. Yeah. I think I would agree with everything you said. I think the difference, like if I were to, as you were talking, I was able to craft uh, sort of a succinct way of putting it for my own sake. Uh, Like apologetics is sort of the logical crafting of arguments to answer the questions or um, I can't think of the word, but yeah, to answer what critiques critiques. Thank you. I haven't had enough coffee. I don't think so. Apologetics is the crafting of logical answers and arguments to the critiques and questions that people would pose against Christianity. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would say theology is the exploration of who God is as revealed in scripture. And for me, the main difference is I think theology sometimes leads us to some answers, like, but the, the point isn't necessarily to get to answers. Yeah. Um, it's more sort of the difference of arriving at a destination and sort of exploring 
uh, this vast, uh, mysterious wilderness. Of, yeah. Uh, and so I think there are things about apologetics that interest me, but I actually think I'm a little bit more interested sometimes in the, the exploration that isn't necessarily destination driven, isn't necessarily yeah. uh, answer driven, even though theology and uh, there's an overlap between theology and apologetics, but I think there's sometimes a difference. Yeah. I, I think theology can, or uh, excuse me, apologetics. I think that can be a, if, if you rely solely on apologetics to kind of as your foundation for your faith, I think that's kind of dangerous if you don't have theology to supplement mm-hmm. it because you know, when I was a, when I was a youth pastor, a lot of, a lot of students wanted apologetics. Like they were, they were really interested in like, how can I know for a fact that my faith is legitimate? How can I know for a fact that my faith stands up to criticism? And that's important. Those are great questions to be asking, but at the end of the day, uh, you're never going to have a definitive answer to give people because faith is faith. You know, it's not something that, uh, at the end of the day, you're going to have to have faith and that's not something that you can uh, necessarily give a, you're never going to have definitive proof for anything. Um, And I think that's where theology is, is important to kind of back up that, that hunger for proof uh, because I don't think anything related to Christianity is definitively provable. That's why it's called faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's in, in this, you can get into sort of all kinds of philosophical, like weeds about this stuff, but like our, our way of like, our way of like knowing something um, at some point our, we come up against the finitude of our, our own yeah, exactly. minds and capacities. And that's, yeah. that's with anything, you know, there's, yeah. there's some philosophers that, go down the rabbit hole of questioning like what it even means to exist so like um yeah to 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 want something about this divine transcendent being from whom all ultimate reality is derived and sustained to want to be able to wrap your mind around that and be able to put that in nice tidy little boxes is yeah um, i think is dangerous because it, it either it leads us to putting god in a box and then i think that puts our faith in a box like uh we we don't leave room for god to be god to be Mm -hmm. holy other and transcendent and mysterious or we put it in a box that something outside of that box challenges and breaks down and then we go down this path of like deconstruction and disillusionment and uh, because our god was too small our box was too small and life is more complicated than that yeah yeah yeah, you can't you can't really say like, oh, I'm I'm gonna believe in God if I if I have enough apologetics to to really believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. At the, at the end of the day, uh, you're you're placing your faith in a God who is mysterious and yeah, yeah, who is infinite mystery. <laughs> yep. And and here's the thing. So just a little self disclosure. Like I wrestle with this. Like I think about things philosophically, and I ask why. And I felt like one time I was kind of journaling, and I felt I don't know if you know I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or my own thought stream, but I just felt this like sense of like what question or like what answer. I was questioning some things about suffering, and and what God is like, and I just felt this impression of like what what answer would satisfy. Like what answer would really satisfy my question? And I came to a place of realizing like there really isn't an answer that's going to silence this question because there would be another question. Um, And and for me, there can always be another why question. That's just my brain can go down those paths. I realized at some point um, what, what I was really wrestling with was, do I trust that who God is, is good? And can mm-hmm. I trust and love him in spite of the mystery? Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't know if that's a place you have to come to by faith, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, anyways, um, there's another rabbit trail, but that's what we, you know, that's what we plan yeah. to do, right? So yeah. 
so we're sort of we could talk about some philosophical and theological and sort of these <laughs> abstract ideas uh and, and we could probably shoot the breeze about it all day but i wanted i did want to zero in for any listeners like how has diving deeper into theological inquiry shaped your life of following Jesus in practical ways? Like yeah. we believe this affects how we live. Um, but what has that looked like for you? Yeah. I think the, one of the biggest theological kind of principles that has shaped my understanding of my daily life uh, is we've talked about this a whole lot, the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Yep. and how the the foundation of jesus's teaching was on the coming reality where he would be uh, ruling over the earth and his people and the ethical slash moral slash uh racial slash uh violent non-violent uh, mm-hmm. slash any any other you know implications that you want to uh, come up with it has it ha- it affects all of those areas of life and um and so the the study and you know thinking and processing about the kingdom of heaven and what that's going to look like and and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven now uh here in life that's really influenced the way that i think about you know what I said, uh, you know, racial uh, relations, violence or nonviolence, um, the ways that Christians are called to enact justice, social justice in the world, like all of those different things that uh, Christians like to argue about. <laughs> I, I think those are, those are valid arguments to be having because your understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is shapes those things. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that that's when, when you start thinking about those, those biblical themes and really trying to get down to not, not just, not just like, what does the Bible say about these things or what does John Piper say about these things? But you know, what, what do I say about these things and how do these things impact the way that I view the world around me outside of the walls of church? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's when it really starts to hit home. Like the stuff, the stuff matters and it impacts the way that you live. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. So I I think the kingdom of God is a big one for me, but I I think um, I'm going to share three, three things that have shaped my theology real, real. I'll try to go through them really quickly. So uh, in Genesis, um, God created creation good. And then he created humanity in his image and he gave them dominion. Mm-hmm. Um, so what this means for me, the theological outworkings of this is, and then in, in the new Testament picks up this theme, Paul specifically, that creation is groaning in expectation, um, and that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And the last picture in revelation is the new Jerusalem coming down to, to earth. And so I have this belief, uh, of, of resurrection hope that God is not going to scrap creation and we're not going to live in some sort of like ethereal uh, spiritual non-being eternity immortality, but that like God's going to resurrect and that involves creation and involves the cosmos. Um, and so physical things are good. I think physical things in excess, uh, there, there's boundaries with, with, within which they're good, but instead of viewing creation as like, and as bad and worldly or fleshly, um, I, I see creation as good, but affected mm-hmm. by the fall. I also see dominion, like part of how this practically, and this isn't for everybody and people don't have to agree with this, but like, um, I, within recent years, I used to scoff at recycling because, well, God's going to destroy the earth anyways. Like, why would you recycle? It's stupid. Just who cares? Uh, we recycle now. Um, I believe I'm to exercise dominion in a way that reflects the image of God that reflects the goodness with which he created creation at the outset that I'm Mm -hmm. to be working for, I'm to be living now as if I were living in the new creation, which involves, yes, living, striving to not sin, but also means exercising dominion. 
in a God honoring way. So that's just one practical way. Like I recycle and it's not just because it's like socially acceptable. I do it because I actually think that's one little way I can try to exercise dominion. We don't do it perfectly, all this stuff, but that's something. Another one is dominion is essentially creation care. Like if you simplify the term, like, yeah, it means to rule, to like have authority over, but essentially that the idea is like caring for the world that God gave to us. Yeah. Yeah. Like a vice regent of the king. Uh, We are, and, and so that's also why with like climate issues and questions, like I don't just like to toe the party line of like a conservative or like, I actually want to engage that conversation yeah. thoughtfully, you know, and mm-hmm. we won't go there because that can get messy and all this stuff. But like, that's why I get frustrated that there's all these things that have all these political, all this political rhetoric around it. I'm like, no, I want to, as a Jesus follower, I want to like, how do I think theologically about this mm-hmm. because of this conviction that's rooted in Genesis one. Another one that's also from Genesis, but it's all throughout scripture is this idea of Sabbath that like, and, and science has come around to like affirm this too, that like we have limitations and your body will eventually burn out if you don't obey and listen to those limitations. And God actually, um, God actually knew this and in, in how he designed us. And so this practice of trying to practice Sabbath, of trying to rest, of trying to practice self-care again, it's not just a, Oh, this is a trendy right now to practice self-care. It's like, no, I want to honor God. And I want to also honor my limitations and practice Sabbath. And, mm-hmm. and how I do that is, is not super consistent, but I have a day off and I try to allow that day to be a, a day that I enjoy family and I enjoy things. And I don't necessarily try to get other things done like yeah. home projects unless they're life-giving, this is, this is the way I've shaped this is if there's something that is creative and I enjoy doing it, it's I try to do life-giving things on Sabbath, not life-draining mm-hmm. things. Another significant theological thing is, is my understanding of forgiveness and love of enemy. And this is really challenging, but um, I, my theological, con- theological convictions about this have led me to really try to do the hard work of releasing people who've hurt me. And again, I don't do it right. And if I'm around people who've hurt me, I feel like an awkward duck. And sometimes I, I, I don't want to be in the same vicinity as them. And I don't want to necessarily talk to them, but um, so I don't do it perfectly. But what I do try to do is say, like, I have to forgive them. I need to do the hard work of releasing Mm -hmm. them because uh, God in Christ Jesus forgave me. And um, there's a whole other, like, theological conversation about that, that we could go down, but those are just three little examples of some of how my theological, my biblical theology has shaped some specific ways that I live. Yeah. And I think it's important because a lot of these topics are things like if you bring them up over Thanksgiving dinner, like people are going to shut down, like, like as a Christian, you don't want to talk about these things or, you know, they're politically charged. There's this whole, you know, just cultural uh, kind of taboo around some of these topics, but yeah, there's a theological truth there that we need to get at and mm-hmm. think about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, climate, race relations, foreign policy, even mm-hmm. political parties. Like, what does this mean? How does God view these things? <laughs> what are the implications of these things for me as a Christian? Like, how am I supposed to engage with these topics? Yeah. A lot of these things, like you don't want to bring them up in church because people are going to get mad or, you know, leave the church or walk out of the room or cause a stink about, but I think we need to get over that because there are important theological truths that we need to think about because God, God cares about some of these things. Yeah. So just, just to give two examples real quick, uh, the whole book of Jonah is about Jonah being called to preach to his political, national, ethnic, religious enemies. Mm -hmm. Um, and he doesn't want to go. He says, why? Because you're a gracious and compassionate God. And and he knew he would relent if they repented. And so Jonah gets at this question. Um, do you believe your enemies, the people you don't agree with, whether they're political, racial enemies, your national enemies, do you believe they're as deserving of God's grace and compassion as you are? And if not, there's something to, there's something to deal with there. Like um, the whole book of Jonah is about that. Jesus, when he asked the greatest commands, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and uh, love 
your neighbor. And then someone says, well, who is my neighbor? And he tells a story about a good Samaritan. Jesus Mm -hmm. inserts within the story, a uh, racial and uh, religious enemy of his Jewish listeners. Mm -hmm. Why did he do that? Like, why did Jesus go there? You know, Jesus stopped talking about race, racial reconciliation. Stop talking about that. Just preach the gospel, Jesus. Yeah. Keep that out of my God. Like, It's we, we, we got to wrestle with this stuff. Like why did Jesus intentionally, he crafted this story and he inserted that detail for a reason. What was he getting at? So anyways, that's just some two real quick biblical examples of why this stuff I think is important. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it drives me nuts. We're like, just keep politics out of church or keep, you know, these social justice out of church. It's like, okay, if, if we are truly, uh, studying scripture as a, as a body of believers, then it should motivate us to think about these things theologically, yeah. not shut down and avoid them. Yeah. So uh, we're kind of hitting at it, but what relevance does theology have for those who will not study it academically? So like, listen, I'm not going to go to seminary, Matt. I'm not going to study academically. I'm not a preacher who has to like craft a sermon. Like wh- what, what importance is there in theology for me? Um, there's this famous quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, oh, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to someone is you don't need to study theology academically, and you don't even need to go out and read some of the books that like Matt and I had to read for seminary, or even some of the ones that maybe Matt and I enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that's necessarily super important for people. But what I think I would encourage people to realize is you're a theologian, whether you believe it or not. And, and what I mean by that is you have, um, you have ideas and beliefs and convictions and ways of thinking about God. Even if you don't believe in God, that is a way of thinking about God. Um, and if you're a Jesus follower, I think it's important to be aware that you have a theology mm-hmm. or you have a way of thinking about God. And it's important that how you think about God is being um, refined and uh, sort of informed by scripture, not by your favorite preacher, not by your political leanings, not by podcast you listen to music and not even necessarily by your feelings and experience. While I think those do have a legitimate place in the process of theology, um, we want, uh, what we believe to be true about God, to be shaped. Um, the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral was shaped by tradition, the, the sort of the voice of the historical church, scripture, reason, God gave us a mind. It's okay to use it and experience. God does in scripture reveal himself through people's lived experiences. So I guess when, my point is that the, the importance of theology for the non-academic is what you believe about God is, is going to influence how you live and it's going to shape your relationship with God. And so it's important for you to just be aware of that. And for that to not be something you're sort of just passively um, unintentional about, I guess, just sort of passively letting happen to you. I think there, there is importance in having some intentionality in how you come to believe what you believe is true about God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, last question: What are some of your favorite theological voices or <clears throat> books, podcasts, websites, theologians? Like, what are some? If, if you did want to, uh, if we did want to introduce some people to either you know some practical or some nerdy uh, voices, yeah. who who are some of them? Well, if you haven't discovered the Bible Project yet, um, mm. that's that's the first step, I think, in your journey. <laughs> Theological inquiry. <laughs> uh, I will project, 100% affirm that. Yeah. Um, Tim Mackey and Jonathan Collins, they're the guys that, that headed, headed up. And uh, they, one of them is kind of a visual artist. One of them is a, a PhD. Uh, I forget what university he teaches at, but he's a really, really good theologian. And they put videos together that are beautifully uh, crafted 
mm-hmm. just aesthetically and also theologically. And yeah. they, they really help the Bible make sense yeah. in a way that is compelling and succinct and intelligent. Uh, and honestly, like if you're, if you're about to sit there and tackle a book of the Bible on your own, uh, watch a bible project video and you'll know exactly what to be looking out for what themes that you're going to need to pick up on uh you know the 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 structure of the book and how it's put together uh and written by the by the author it's it's all just so well done uh obviously we're not endorsed by them at all (laughs) Uh, but i but i can endorse them freely um, because I, I just think they, they have done more for theological understanding, I think, than, than most people have done over the past 20 years, you know? Yeah. And they've only been around for what, five years or so, maybe. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Some others. Yeah. So the Bible, the project.com. Uh, I really like, Kenneth Bailey. So um, Andrew, one of our, our previous guests, he talked about this when we were talking about culture. Uh, Andrew Gale, mm-hmm. he, yeah. he introduced us, or he introduced me at least to that to this guy. Uh, he does cultural studies in um, the in in scripture. So he he wrote a book called uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. I have it. I'm about halfway through it. Um, and, he, and it talks about how the Middle East, how Jesus was shaped by his Middle Eastern culture and how these passages uh, were Jesus, like the parables that Jesus taught and the, the, the ethical lessons that Jesus was preaching on and the implications of those, how they would have impacted his immediate audience uh, in the first century Middle East. Because, you know, 21st century Western you know, America, we are so, so, so foreign to that culture and understanding how Jesus's teachings would have impacted those people. uh, They're really transformative in how we actually view them as 21st century Americans. So yeah, Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes, it's written in 2008. um, So it's, it's a little older, but it's still really, really good. And then that more recent one in 2011, uh, he wrote Paul through Mediterranean eyes. So the, mm. the epistles of Paul, I haven't read this one yet, but I really want to uh, just about how um, Paul's letters to these Mediterranean cities and first century, uh, you know, Greek and Roman um, people would have impacted them in their culture and how the, how that understanding uh, shapes how we view these these letters from Paul. Yeah, so that's a little a little bit of a nerdy uh, resource, but I think it's it's fascinating applying cultural studies and cultural intelligence to these uh, scriptures. And then uh, I'm a I like N.T. Wright. You kind of introduced me to N.T. Wright. Uh, one of my favorite books is called The New Testament in Its World, um, and this is a big fat textbook. <laughs> but uh, N.T. Wright has a way of <clears throat> of making academic theology very accessible Mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of a casual reader. Uh, And so the new Testament in its world really kind of gives um, it kind of walks through the new Testament in terms of uh, the world around it. So applying again, cultural historical, study and knowledge to uh the the study reading of the new testament so that one is like 900 pages it's it's huge uh, but it actually has a workbook that goes along with it which is kind of cool so if you're reading it and you want to like follow along that way that's a good one so those are three of them that i i kind of came up with yeah that's really good um and nt right uh, just a fair warning he has some more academic stuff that's like pretty not doesn't bring it down to the bottom shelf as much, but he has some more popular uh, reading stuff. So uh, I would, uh, yeah, I'd affirm Bible project, excellent resource. 
<clears throat> so there's uh, some podcasts with him, uh, Asking T. Write Anything. Did you mention that? I didn't know. Um, no. Uh, so there's a podcast, Asking T. Write in Anything, and they just go through questions that are submitted by the audience uh, in different episodes. Um, <coughs> Preston Sprinkle has a podcast called Theology in the Raw. I don't listen to super uh, consistently, but I, 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 and I wouldn't agree with Preston Sprinkle. There's some things on the theological spectrum where we would disagree, but I appreciate he, um, he critically and thoughtfully engages uh, hard questions. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think is really, uh, he doesn't just regurgitate answers, you know? Um, I think that's yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, they, um, there's another podcast called the Bible for normal people. Yeah. By Pete ends. Oh, um, what your, your face. Was a little... <laughs> I mean, don't tell anyone, but I like, <laughs> I like Pete ends, but he's, uh, yeah. He's, he's on the, he hangs out in the danger zone according yeah. in, in some people's opinion. I was going to say, like, I, I would not necessarily agree with, with a lot of what they have, uh, but it's good fodder to get your, your wheels turning uh, some of these, these episodes. Yeah. And um, he's, he's actually a sharp dude and he, he is uh, a good, I think a good scholar. Uh, yeah. But, right. but um anyways um a couple like uh, another so nt Wright in uh his book he has simply christian um which is really basic but i think really good and uh surprised by hope is a little bit more academic but it's a pretty uh kind of a must read i would say uh but also c.s lewis was a great thinker um i don't know if he'd be officially considered a theologian but he wrote a lot that i think theologians respect and some of his you know, mere Christianity, um, the problem of pain. These are great, I think, places to start. Henry Nowen was a Catholic priest and theologian, but I think he has a lot of fantastic things to say about the inner life. Um, one of my favorites, sometimes somewhat more controversial theologians is Greg Boyd, uh, but um, I appreciate his voice. Uh, Dallas Willard, if you really like, this is, this is dancing on, this is like seminary level reading maybe, but the divine conspiracy shaped a lot of my Mm -hmm. theology at a particular time in my life, especially about the kingdom. Um, And then another one is Philip Yancey. Specifically, I would recommend the Jesus I never knew. It really goes into some of the Jewishness background and, and especially understanding the new Testament uh, but I would also say there's a lot of other books by Philip Yancey that I didn't realize how much his writing had shaped my thinking, but it has Philip Yancey. And I don't know that he would, I don't think he would be considered a theologian either, but he writes about theological topics. And yeah. I think he does it in a way that's accessible. Yeah. Dallas, Dallas Willard did <clears throat> Revelation of the Heart too, which I think is a little less heady and more um, kind of yep. practical. Yeah. It's a formation book. Um, another theologian who's written some stuff that I found helpful is, or pastor, I would say pastor theologian is Paul David Tripp. Um, he, he has some accessible things. Oh, John Mark Comer. I quote him on here all the time. Actually, I'd highly recommend John Mark Comer. Uh, I'd recommend God has a name, the ruthless elimination of hurry garden city and live no lies. And here's the thing about, uh, if you read John Mark Comer, and you read his footnotes, he's citing some pretty heady theologians, but he crafts it in such a readable, uh, accessible way. And his writing style and even the layout on the pages in uh, the spacing, it's so easy to read. And his books are really quick reads. And if you read some of John Mark Comer's stuff, you'll actually almost be uh, gleaning from the headier theologians that have shaped his thought. Does that make sense? Like, yeah reading some of his stuff is actually a good way to like read the cliff's notes of other more mm-hmm. academic. Yeah. Um, John Walton's another good one. Well, yeah. He, he's, he's pretty heady. Yeah. He, Excellent old Testament. Yeah. The, the yeah he, he's, he, di- he dives into a lot of the old Testament context, which is really good. Um, what's a commentary series that you would recommend 
for anyone who is wants oh, to tell. I mean, um, a commentary is not meant to be like sat down and read in one sitting, yeah. but it really helps if you're reading about the Bible um, yeah. and just trying to follow along. I like William Barclay's New Testament series. Yeah. And then the um, the Expositor's Bible commentary. Oh, yeah, that one's really good. Yeah, Longman and Garland. Another one real quick, it's right here. Um, this is a great book, and it's I read it in seminary, but it's it's accessible. Um, it's called The Drama of Scripture, Finding Our Place in the Biblical Story by uh, Craig Bartholomew and Michael Goheen. Mm-hmm. And it goes through the major scenes in Scripture, calls it Acts, like Act 1, Act 2. And um, it gives you a really good overview of Scripture with some really good biblical theology woven in throughout it. And so if you're someone you're like, I really want to move past just sort of a devotional reading of scripture where I read like a chapter in uh, a devotional, but I, I want to get a, I want to read the whole Bible, but I want to have a grasp on it. I'd recommend this book, the drama of scripture. Okay. It's really good. All right. Anyways, I could have fun sharing all kinds of uh, resources and probably get carried away with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any. Oh, Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a good. Yeah, I like Tim Keller. Uh, and, and this is more of an apologetics book, but he wrote a book called The Reason for God. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, while we're getting to uh, Tim Keller, um, the Gospel Coalition kind of hit and miss for me on, on some of their stuff, but, mm-hmm. but a lot of their. They do. Um, a couple of articles on like just responses to current events that I really, really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Piper, when he contributes, uh, th- that those are always good. I, I like John Piper too. Yeah. Anthony always makes fun of me because he thinks I'm reformed. Uh, <laughs> maybe I think, maybe I am a little bit more than he is, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm a, you probably I'm a fan. are. I'm a fan of Piper. <laughs> I, have, I, I have some Piper books on my shelf and uh, I've only read one of them, but he, he's a good theologian. I don't agree with him on every point, but um, I think that the thing is about, so this is what I like about theology. This is maybe an important point to make is the people I read. I don't have to agree with them on every point. Like I'm not reading them to reaffirm my cognitive bias and assumptions necessarily. I'm reading to learn. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and so, disagreeing, I think disagreeing is really important to kind of solidify where you fall on um, those things. So like, yeah, if you might yeah. read some of these suggestions that me and Anthony have put forth and you're like, what, where are they getting that? And I don't agree with that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even necessarily mean me and Anthony agree with them. Uh, it just means exactly. that they've been, they've been important for us and our kind of formation of our theology. Yep. So, yep. Agreed. Yeah. Well, any last thoughts? Um, I don't think so. I think uh, we came a lot of books to read, so that's good. If I were, if that's overwhelming, I'd boil it down to check out the Bible Project. Oh yeah, that's that's the first step. That's that's a that's a must. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the Bible Project maybe would be the one I the only the only one I'd say that's that's a must. That's a, yeah. that's a must do. Look and then, uh, <laughs> uh, then my second would be in T, right? If you want to yep. start, you, you want to start swimming a little bit in, in a little bit deeper end on, on some theological stuff, check out in T, right? Yeah. Oh, he does have, you asked about commentaries. He has a, uh, an, uh, for everyone commentary series, like Matthew for everyone. And it's meant to be, uh, oh, that's, yeah, <clears throat> it's meant to be, ex- yeah, it's meant to be accessible. Yeah. So those might be good. But anyways, well, that was fun. Yeah. I, I was literally just like watching Anthony, like you in his swivel chair, just like circle his office around his bookshelves, just like reading, <clears throat> like he's got, I think my bookshelf has been populated mostly by Anthony's recommendations so i feel like he's uh more 
reliable source for these things than I am. Well, uh, that's nice of you to say. But <laughs> as my professor said, you never read. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm still not, I still haven't caught up to any of the, some of the influences. My excuse is there, it's their like professional job to be academically uh, smarter than me. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyways well thanks for joining us uh as always i want to encourage you to like share word of mouth about uh, and go to our facebook page instagram subscribe to the podcast and it will help increase our listener base um also want to encourage you uh we would love to explore more topics even that you're interested in exploring so if you're a listener and you have questions or you would like for us to uh you know, invite a guest on the show, or you would like us to dialogue about a particular topic, go to our Facebook page and uh, you can direct message or post something on there, uh, a question, and we will do our best to uh, respond to it in some fashion. And uh, yeah, we'd love to, to know more about what are some things our listeners would like us to explore. Otherwise, we'll just open theological cans of worms and banter exactly we also have some guests lined up too that we're excited. we do we do all right well thanks for listening until next time this is theologizing life <laughs> and this is why you don't sing <laughs>